Welcome to Rumble Strip, Vermont. I'm Erica Heilman. <coughs> Up until I had access to typing, I felt lost, deserted, in an inaccessible sea. That's Mark Utter. Actually, that's a computer-generated voice speaking the words of Mark Utter, which he's tapped out with one finger. Mark Utter was born with a form of autism that makes it impossible for him to say what he's thinking. For the first 30 years of his life, Mark did not have access to the world of words, except as a listener, an observer. When he was 30, he was introduced to supported typing, and for the first time in his life, with the help of a facilitator and a typing pad, Mark started his life as a writer of words. It's slow going, and it requires a lot of effort for him to maintain a connection between his mind and his hand. Emily Anderson is one of the people who has been trained to be Mark's communication partner. As he types, she lightly touches his elbow. Emily has no control over the letters Mark chooses, and according to Mark, this light touch helps to focus him, both physically and mentally. The thing is, Mark has a lot to say. And a couple of years ago, he made a film about what it's like to be Mark. The film is called I Am In Here, a view of my daily life with good suggestions for improvement from my intelligent mind. And it offers a strangely lucid and sometimes hilarious look into his life and his mind. Mark and Emily and I met twice, and we talked for about two hours each time. So I'd ask a question, and Mark would type out an answer, and this could take up to eight minutes, which was amazing to me that he could hang on to these beautiful complex thoughts and tap them out with that one finger. I can't play you four hours of tape, so I've edited out the typing, but I wanted to give you a sense for the real tempo of our conversation, because I think that the time it takes Mark to communicate with words has a huge impact on how he uses language. So, for his first answer, you'll hear most of the typing. Here is Mark Utter. Can you talk about the texture of your life before supported typing? What, what, what was it like before communication with words with people? <clears throat> My <clears throat> living. <laughs> Felt like I was <laughs> on my My living felt like I was on my own. Yet much attention was given to my body. 
If you can imagine being a glorified pet, that is what it was like. When you say the word pet, I remember I'm, rem I'm thinking about your mother and your relationship to her. I think you say in, in the film, I'm one of the lucky ones who gets to live in my family of origin. I think that's what you say, until in, into adulthood. But then you say about your mother that she has treated you like a child forever, but you say it with such love for her. And I wonder if the nature of that love changed when you had words. I longed to have deep talks with her, but she could not break the mold. She held me in. Now that she has passed, I am more free, you see. How did your mother know you before words? And how did you know her? And maybe the more general or maybe the more interesting question is, how, do, how does one know another person without language? I think we all feel people more than think words about them. We, as animals, have the ability to convey a lot of information without words. I found a lot of basic connection through this. But spoken language is much more popularly used for sharing higher thinking. Would you say that that's something that you do better than people who have had words their whole life? Yes. It is one of my gifts. So for the first 30 years of your life, you had no way to communicate with language of any kind. It makes me wonder what it was like inside your mind. Can you, can you describe that? I used to find it easiest to describe it as a castle. A castle with many rooms. And each room has a focus, such as good memories, and sweet thoughts, and funny things, and old movies. The castle's rooms evolved over time, as more information and stories filled them. I always add what interests me, and that does change with time. As a body grows up and minds evolve with knowledge. Was the world of people and words something that seemed far away? Or what was your relationship to it before you had access to that? I was in it, but experiencing it in my own way. People didn't know I knew everything that was going on around me. Was there a feeling of frustration? <clears throat> uh, what do I want? I want to ask it right. Um, if you're born without access to words, do you still experience frustration at not having them? I found it frustrating that people found me stupid. And I was not. Do you have a... Is there a story that comes to mind that tells us that story? Is there a story of, of being misunderstood that comes to mind that, that's, that's, that really stands out in your mind? I was having a fun time playing in the pool, and some people got in and decided to tell really mean stories about my brother. 
I knew they had some details wrong. It would have surprised them if I could have corrected them. I was in agreement with what the people were saying and my additions would have made them laugh. The people who you grew up with in your family, how did they know you? I think we love each other well. Yet only so much intelligence can get through to them. When you first started with supported typing, was there anything you were afraid of losing? I love your wonderful questions. Yes. I was worried I might lose my vantage point on human communication, and I have a little, because I am needing to be accountable for what I do and say, while feeling many emotions. Are you saying that the, van that the vantage point that you were afraid to lose was in part, <clears throat> existed in part because you didn't have to be accountable to what you didn't say? Did and wrote and communicated? <laughs> I mean, is that the... So you were afraid that you would lose your vantage point on human communication. Communication uh, between other people that you were witness to? Yes. I see how people don't say what they are feeling. But now I do the same thing when I am mad or confused. You thought you were going to be the truth teller? <laughs> <laughs> Did your experience of um, the passage of time change with language? Oh, I love time. I can condense it or expand it somewhat. I can move back in time because of the way my mind holds information. Do you feel like a different person now that you have language? I am still the same person with just a new chapter opening up. You tell a story in the film about being picked up by some transportation agency or group and dropped off at the wrong place. You were taken to the library, you were supposed to be taken somewhere else. And in the film, the picture of the film is, is of you just standing and waiting um, for a long time. Much time passes when you're standing at the library. And the narration in that section of the film is you, I mean, you've written the whole film, but the narration is you describing, I can't remember the words you use, but I think you say, I, I don't do well when plans change. Yes, I have a body and mind connection disorder. Can you describe in that moment at the library what that feels like? <laughs> it varies. But in a situation like that, I feel a really strong urge to move. But I am unsure where to go to get that problem fixed due to my inability to communicate with the voice. What you wrote later, after this happens, you're able to think about it in a different way. But in the moment when it's happening, are you also thinking 
I wish, I want, I can, I can't. Are you having all of the, that dialogue in your head in the moment that you're standing there? Or is there a kind of static going on? <laughs> I am knowing I just need to wait to see what happens, which is what I do a lot. Is that frightening? And there are a lot of things you could feel about that. It could be frightening. You could feel resentful. You could feel perfectly peaceful with that circumstance where you are essentially waiting for someone to come and to sort it out. Does that, what does that make you feel? I am sure I look nervous, so I must be some of that. But this is a great moment to hang out in the castle. Well, let me ask you a practical, let me ask you a practical question. What's the worst thing somebody can do in that moment? Oh, it might be too cold outside, and maybe I have to use the bathroom. So those are problems that might come up. But when you are in that circumstance, what do you not want people to do that they might, what's the, what's the worst thing people can do in that moment? Take me and do something bad with me. Has that ever happened? I want to say no. But yes, it has. Is is that um, something that you're comfortable telling me about? Or is it too hard? It is better not to talk about it. But it is something I am healed from. And I like to bring hope to others still healing. Um, okay. <clears throat> this is the last question I'll ask about this, but there's something I'm trying to understand. When you are standing, let's go back to the library again. I asked you, what's the, the worst thing somebody could do? And it's come and take you somewhere. What happens in your mind when somebody approaches and suggests that you go somewhere, is there any um, agency or ability to say no? If they act positive and friendly, I am rigged to comply. I see. So if I'm showing up at the library and I have some reason to believe that you aren't where you're supposed to be, but we can't talk with each other, and there's no typing available, what's the best thing for me to do? It is a problem. What I need is a note like Paddington Bear, but that's not PC. One thing I wanted to ask, I, I wanted to start by reading a line from your film because I, it was so striking to me when I heard it. 
Um, and here it is. I, the little green bird, am tired of so many friendless days in my life. I want to know how it feels to have old, cold, lonesome longing for love gone. I think that what was so striking to me about that is it jumps so far. It jumps from desire for love all the way to sadness at its loss. And I wondered if you could, you could write more about that. I think what I'm asking about is what do you want from love? That is a line I wrote long ago. I am happy to say that line ignited the spark that lit the path to you. And so many others that have met my heart and mind. I know love goes, but I am really into love's arrival. I am aware that I felt deeply aware of love for a long time. You were aware of love, but you didn't have love? Is that what you mean? I felt love, and I saw love between real people, and between the movie TV folks too. But I was not a participant, though I found I felt it in me. I'm assuming, as we're talking here, that, I mean, what I had meant and what I think that we agree on is that I'm talking about before this kind of communication. So has this communication helped you to experience love with other people? No. I say things that are not absolutely true and that is not effective communication. People get confused and find my anger at where I am in my life confusing to navigate. Well, first of all, none of us says everything that's absolutely true. <laughs> so what are you, if what you say here is that you're angry, what do you desire? I want the transformational soothing of someone knowing me and vice versa. Is the nature of that desire different with the ability to communicate this way than it was before, before communication? Only with typing I can share my intuitive, sensitive side. I so like doing that, but I don't have a good person to do that with. I have a friend who is not totally there. My friend has brain damage from an accident. I want better conversation. The people in my life give this friendship a lot of energy because they hope it is more than it is. Do you feel that you don't have a enough control over the friendships you develop in your life? Yes. I think I deserve more as I so astutely connect with open hearts. I go to very hopeful places in them. So I find it hard to not have it reciprocated. I am remaining open to finding that. Do you hope to find some one person who you can know very deeply and who will know you very deeply? Do you fantasize or think about how that might happen? I want to have someone know me and support me for being me. I dip into people's desires for others really easily. 
and I don't think my nice thoughts for more love are really that odd after seeing those thoughts in other people. You know, in the film, there's a section of the film, there's a bowling sequence in the film. There are a bunch of guys bowling. But what I noticed is that there's a kind of com community that's not based on language and on talking. And I wonder if you can describe what it's like to be in a community where words are not the only currency. Yes. I think so much about communication in ways that don't rely on spoken words. But I am not too interested in those guys. I am totally into finding minds through words right now. Once I am established and accepted as a thinker, I can talk more about the other currency you describe, which is communication and friendship without words. What, what do I not understand because I talk so much? I think we easily fear that others don't like who we are. So we are so often hiding. I think we miss peace by talking. Joy abounds completely when we hold back our declarations of it. My deepest wish is for us all to show our hearts I am a man, named, Mark Utter. And I want to end this podcast, by uttering my favorite word with my own, voice. Love. That was Mark Utter. The name of Mark's film is called I Am In Here. You can find all kinds of links to his film and to his blog on my website, rumblestripvermont.com. Mark is now working on a new project, his fledgling company called Utter Communication Strategies. Emily Anderson is trained to support people who type to communicate. She was the producer of I Am In Here. She has a background in social and political theater and uses it to assist creative projects that bring odd people more positively into the limelight. I also want to thank David Hinton for his time on this show. This is Erica Heilman. Thanks so much for listening.